listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. All this month we're studying the book of Acts. And so I, just, I, just, I found uh, just a small passage of scripture, uh, took three verses that I'm going to read here. It may not make too much sense, I just want to... Uh, pay attention to one particular piece of these verses. But uh, other than that, it's kind of random. It says Acts uh, 17, starting in verse 10. Um, it's, it's the story of Paul going to uh, a city of Berea. And maybe you've heard of this before and what the Bereans are famous for. But I think it's pretty cool. So Acts 17, verse 10 says, as soon, it w- as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. That's a city in Greece near Thessalonica. Um, upon arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Verse 11, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than, the, the, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. In verse 12, as a result, many of them believed, and as so did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And so that verse in there, verse 11, the only thing that we really know about this ancient civilization, the Bereans, is that they uh, received the the scripture with great eagerness, the message, and they examined the scriptures every day. And so I just thought that was a cool scripture within this book, within this greater context of what we're talking about all this month, that maybe, you know, maybe the Mill Sunday School, we might be known as the Bereans. I think that would be cool, that we might be known as those that examine the scriptures to see if they're true wouldn't that be cool if that was said about us yeah yeah it would be cool sweet all right well let's pray this morning god we do thank you we we worship you alone jesus we worship you and and we give you our our thanks we give you our praise this morning god would you open up the scriptures to us would you open up the book of acts to us Allow us to understand it deeper. Allow us to understand the messages and message of salvation and Holy Spirit and the message of the, the church that is in this great book. God, we do thank you for giving us this, uh, the book of Acts. We praise you and thank you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Um, back in the day, uh, I, I, I took uh, some seminary courses. I had to move to California and uh, lived there for a year while I was studying in seminary. And while I was studying in seminary, I was a youth pastor of this little church. There was about 10 kids that would come. And uh, here's, here's a picture uh, of some of those kids. There's about six of them there, another youth worker. Can you find me? Look at my sweet haircut. Isn't that sweet? I'm the, I'm the second to the left, by the way. Had long hair. I don't know if the picture does justice. But uh, I, I, when I was in L.A., I surfed a ton. So you wear a wetsuit because the water's cold. And so I was really tan on my face and on my hands. And the rest of my body was like bright white. I don't know if the picture shows that. Anyways, that, that's a picture of me back in the day, 2003. I don't look much older than the kids is what my wife said this morning when she saw this picture. But I was. I was in seminary getting my master's degree. And here's high schoolers. Um, and so during this year, I had a year that I was... Um, committed to teach this little Presbyterian youth group, and it was a great group of kids, and I was in charge of uh, being their pastor, bringing them to events, and uh, teaching them on Sundays and Wednesdays. And, and so I picked the, the first thing, uh, the, the topic, the book of the Bible that I picked that I wanted to teach them about was the book of Acts. I just thought, what a great story about the church. What a great story about the Holy Spirit in the church. And, of course, salvation, evangelism, missions. I just thought, what a great book uh, the book of Acts would be to teach 
the, uh, the, this group of high schoolers. And so um, I got, uh, maybe some of you have seen this, the Visual Bible. Anybody ever seen these DVD disc sets? Cut one another person too. Okay, sweet. There, you could watch the Bible. Like not just read the Bible or listen to the Bible, but you can watch so you have these DVDs, and it's actually, literally, um, line by line, books of the Bible um, being read or being said while it's being acted out. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, and so, um, I, I sh- so I just thought, what a great idea. We'll, we'll, instead of reading the Bible or listening to the Bible, we'll show the Bible on DVD to these high school students, and it'll be sweet. And it, it was a sweet idea, and I began to show the DVDs of the Bible, the, the book of Acts being read, and, and we watched it, like when Paul said this, like you could actually watch Paul saying it. Um, and the very first chapter of the book of Acts is, if you haven't read it or haven't read it in a while, uh, has the story of the ascension of Jesus when Jesus ascends to the heavens. And so we started watching this, this DVD, and uh, here's, here's a picture of Jesus ascending. And, and it, it's maybe a little funny because it's a little cheesy, but the students had no idea what was going on. They were like, why is there a man floating up into the air? And everybody started laughing. And then as the disciples were watching Jesus on this film, um, the, this picture, uh, one of the high school students says, why are all the men wearing dresses? <laughs> and of course, they all started laughing. And then Paul came on, uh, or Peter, I think that's Paul actually, came on. He's wearing a turban. And, and the, the students had no context, no background, or very little at least for the book of Acts. And so they looked at this guy and said, is he Muslim? Is he a terrorist? Why is he wearing a head turban? And I was just like dumbfounded because these students had no background for the book of Acts, and they, they didn't have any context, so much so that when they saw Jesus ascending, they just laughed and said, Who's, why is this guy floating around, or why are these men wearing dresses? And they just had no context for, oh, this is actually an ancient book in an ancient context, and people dressed differently back then. And you just have to realize that, you know, the book of Acts follows the Gospels. And so I realized in teaching these high school students the importance of background information for studying an ancient text. And I just realized maybe a lesson about, here I was in, in master's, uh, getting a master's degree in seminary, had already knew the background of the book of Acts, and yet when I was teaching these high school students, I had to revert back to, okay, they may not know the stories of the Bible. They might not know, know the stories of the book of Acts. And so I have to begin at a level of, of maybe sharing some background information with them before getting to the actual lesson, or else they will just laugh and wonder why the men are wearing dresses and why a man is floating around and why they look like terrorists with head wraps. And it's like, well, not, you know, the only people in the world that wear head wraps aren't just terrorists, but they didn't know that. And so I had to give them background stuff. And so today's lesson in the Mill Sunday School, uh, we're, we're taking a whole month to talk about the book of Acts. And actually, um, we have brand new Sunday school topic cards. Did you see these on the tables? You you're, feel free to take one. They're kind of like book mat, uh, bookmark format. And uh, so you realize that this month is March. We're going to talk about the book of Acts. And it's just part one because we will come to the book of Acts again. We'll return to it in June 
and talk about the Acts Part 2. So we could really slow down um, today and this month as we talk about the book of Acts because we have two months instead of just one. Usually Sunday school topics are only one month, and sometimes it feels like a long month. Sometimes it feels like, man, we could have talked two or three months about this topic. And so the book of Acts, we've broken it up into two. So we're going to take it um, slow today. We, we're going to go into the background of the book of Acts. And some of you may think, man, we're going overboard in the, in the background information and knowledge just to get to the book of Acts. But that's kind of, in some ways, what the Mill Sunday School is all about. And so if you're new to the Mill Sunday School this morning, welcome. We do have cards that look like this, a first-timer card. You can fill it out. Bring it to the nice people as you leave uh, at the back table in the lobby. They'll give you a CD. The CD is from our Friday night meeting. That's our main meeting for college somethings, 20-somethings, the college and career, whatever you want to call it. We call it college and 20-somethings ministry here at New Life Church. And so that's actually our service. We do worship. And uh, so that's on Friday nights at 7 o'clock. But the Mill Sunday School, all of us, um, what we're doing in here is more of a lesson, more of a teaching than it is a sermon. And so it's with that idea that we're going to go into the book of Acts. And before, actually, I shouldn't say go into the book of Acts because we're going to preface going into the book of Acts with lots of stuff, nerdy kind of stuff about the background of the book and where it came from, the audience, the genre, etc., etc. And so it's, it's, if this lesson comes across as like, oh, we're talking about the book of Acts, but we never really got around to talking about the book of Acts, that's kind of the point, as you'll see in this lesson today, because I think that we need to have background information before getting into the text. And I, that's kind of the argument, my thesis for this morning, that we'll kind of get to. Sound cool? Sweet. Okay. Glad some of you are along with me. Sweet. Um, so let's talk about reading the Bible. And, and I really think that reading the Bible is, is important, not just for study that we do in the Mill Sunday School, often talk about reading the Bible with our minds, and we worship God with our minds, and we are in some ways kind of the community of the Mill. I joke that and say we're the nerds of the Mill. Some of you like that, right? Yeah, so yeah, so we're so this group of people that we take seriously biblical knowledge and background, etc. But we also do take seriously uh, reading the Bible. We do, we do take seriously this uh, this the concept that that Scripture isn't just for knowledge. That that this book isn't just to be read and studied in such a way that we're just oh we just read it with our minds. But we do take into consideration that this this book this these books of the Bible, all sixty six of them are in, in some way God-breathed. Like 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scriptures God-breathed. And we say, yeah, God breathed through these stories that we might read the stories in the book of Acts that we're doing all this month and be encouraged that we might know truth, that we might know more about God himself from reading this text. And so I, I just wanted to preface the, today's lesson because today's lesson is going to get very heady. But I, I don't want us to just think, oh, the book of the Bible is just to be read and studied in a heady way. It's like, no, there is times and very important times and maybe most of the time where we read the context of Scripture knowing what we're reading, that it is uh, the, the words that are inspired that we can know God and know truth from these words. Um, a long time ago, I heard a pastor talk about reading the Bible. Um, for some of you, you may know who this is. It's Jack Hayford. And he went, uh, he was just t- telling a, a different story, but within the context of that story, he mentioned something that 
I just thought was so cool. Um, he said that he, he had read the Bible every single day. And he, for, for some reason, like, he, he had read the Bible every single day, never missed a day in like 13 or 15 years or something. And like 15 years ago, he was in Israel and he fell asleep while reading the Bible. So he doesn't, like he opened it up and then accidentally fell asleep. So he missed a day like 15 years ago. But, but I just thought how cool that is that, that here's a man, a, a pastor that, that literally reads the Bible every single day of his life. He hasn't missed a day in so long. And so a long time ago, I, I made that decision. Um, in fact, it was before we got married, my wife and I, we made the decision, let's read the Bible every single day. And so um, we are now four years into our marriage, going on five years, and we've read the Bible every single day. And so we haven't missed a day. There's been days when we had to like call each other and read it over the phone, kind of weird, but um, because we were in different countries or states or something. But I just think, I, I just preface reading the Bible and, and this, this idea that we're, we're about to get into this um, very heady talk about the background, exegesis, hermeneutics of the Bible. But we should never forget that we should that read the Bible in such a way that this book is important for our spiritual lives to learn truth. And, and I'm going to argue that we learn truth in such a way that we, we have to follow rules of interpretation and exegesis and hermeneutics. But, um, so that, I just wanted to preface that and say that, um, yeah, we're, we're getting into a heady lesson, but the headiness shouldn't over whelm our inspiration as we read and be inspired by scripture. So today, I, w- I want to begin today with a discussion, a, a question, and, and that is that it's a simple question, I guess, and maybe many of you do this on a regular basis, and just ask the question, you know, what do you do when you come to uh, a scripture, a passage, maybe you're reading along, and it just doesn't make any sense. Where do you go? Where can you go? When it doesn't make sense, so how do you get your answers, your Bible answers, uh, excuse me, your Bible questions answered? Um, where do you go? Where can you go? Because often, you know, sometimes we think that reading the Bible is is like, uh, you know, if you walk into a Christian bookstore, there's all these nice, beautiful scriptures um, that are that are on plaques, and maybe your grandma knit, knitted some of these verses into little crochet things, um, like uh, Jeremiah, oh, I forget what verse it is, I, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Anybody know, you know that verse? You have it on your plaque in your house, maybe. Um, or Chronicles, is it Second Chronicles something? Something that says, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? Or this one, actually, no, John 3.16, right? It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one only begotten son, uh, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. You know that one, right? And so, and so you might think um, that, that reading the scripture is uh, like, oh, reading the scripture must be like that. Like all these nice verses just pop out of the page and grandma's knitting all these beautiful verses. And then you actually pick up the scripture and you start reading and you're like, this, this is more in story format. This is in, in some ways long gaps between beautiful verses, the one-liners. There's like all these verses about somebody killing somebody else or these verses uh, that, that, that don't really make too much sense to you or a long list of like so-and-so begat so-and-so and that so-and-so begat so-and-so. And that's what the, the context of Scripture needs, um, I'm going to argue, background information and context. And so the question that I have for you for discussion and maybe at your groups, maybe you can make a list uh, of some of these things. Um, turn to people around you, make a list. Um, and uh, the question is, if you have a question about a passage, a passage in the Bible, where can you go? 
What are your options? Where can you go if you have a question? And some of you might just jokingly answer the question, well, I would ask Joe, or I would ask another pastor, or I would ask uh, Wikipedia, or I would go to ask.com and type in my question. And these are all fine and great places to go to begin the search. But I would I would press you a little further and say, okay, if that was really true that you know maybe you would just come and ask me i have a bible question i'm going to come uh ask joe uh, what he thinks about this passage well then if i didn't know off the top of my head which i maybe i would maybe i would not where could i go to answer um a, a bible question where where is it that you know if you go to wikipedia and ask a bible question or type in a bible question and wikipedia pulls up a site where are the people that write the wikipedia's going where 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 can we go to find our answers to biblical questions about passages does the question make sense okay so just where do you go so um talk about that i'll just give you like a minute or so to to make a small list with the people around you so ready get set go all right um Sorry to cut your conversation short if you are still talking, but I thought uh, we have we have some mics uh, that we could we could pass around. If any of you had like, oh, I usually go here, and it's a great resource um, for for any of you. You have the option of of sharing it with all of us. Yes, thank you for getting us started. Hello, uh, I usually go to the website called Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible. Anybody know that one as well? Yeah, I go there as well. Yeah, Blue Letter Bible has like. Each verse is, uh, it has the original uh, language it was written in. Yeah. That way you can click on the word and find out where else it's used in the Bible. Yeah. To see uh, kind of how it's used otherwise. And then you can find commentaries that are all free. So. Yeah. So Blue Letter Bible, this, yeah. this website with lots of other stuff in it. Uh, one of the things I like about the Blue Letter Bible or other sites like that is that you could type in a word that is probably in the Bible. Like you could, for instance, type in the word Jesus and hit enter and it's called a concordance. Does any, did anybody list concordance as a tool, as uh, someplace you can go? And you hit enter, and it just lists every single time in the Bible that the word Jesus is in the Bible. So there's probably hundreds of times, and you could look up every single time Jesus is mentioned, or the word love, or anything like that. And so instead of looking at it in a book form, uh, websites like that are pretty sweet. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, one of the uh, places I've gone to many times is uh, BibleGateway.com. Anybody else like Bible Gateway? Yeah, I got that one too. It's a good one. <laughs> very similar to Blue Letter Bible. Does very similar things. Yes. Anybody else? Yeah, Big Bill. This is probably an obvious place to reference as uh, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Did anybody else list that? Shame on you for not listing it. <laughs> but, but it's it it's true. really obvious. It's just sometimes it's hard to hear him, you know. So yeah. But he says, however, when he, the Spirit of Truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has our mind therefore i said that he will take of mine and declare it to you Thank so you. yeah he knows everything yeah that's good and we're, we'll get to that at the very end of today's lesson there is uh if you're looking at your notes the very last point says take and eat and that that make may make no sense to you right now 
but hopefully it will in this greater context of, of taking into us the, the scriptures and allowing the spirit to, to change our lives to give us understanding. Yeah, thank you. Uh, any, anybody else? I have, I have a list up here. Some of you have already mentioned them. Anybody? Bueller? You do? Yeah, I have. Oh, the guy with the mic. I have one. Thank you, Joel. Um, I've been looking a lot at a, a book that uh, was co-authored and edited by N.T. Wright and some other people uh, called the um, Dictionary of Biblical Interpretation or Theological Interpretation. Yeah. And they have a lot of like issues and things like that that they show a lot of the different discourse that's gone on through church history about. Sweet. It. So, so it's, really a, it's a historical kind of resource. Really cool. Here's the list that uh, I, I will give you. Um, there may be enough places. Uh, you may have to write very small if you're taking notes on uh, the little note thing that we give you. Um, so I'm going to list six of them. And it's the tools that, that these, these are the things you can go to if you have a passage. Or these are the things that maybe you can, that if someone asks you a question. I mean, here you are. You're a Mill Sunday schooler. People, I imagine, it's some people in your life somewhere see you as this Christian that has answers about the Bible. And so if someone asks you a question, or if you have a question about Scripture, here's some places you can go to to get questions answered about the context of Scripture and what it means or is what it's saying. So um, number one is a study Bible. Did anybody list that as, as a reference or just Bible alone? Um, I, and I'm... Um, I think my Bible has a lot of notes in it. If you were to come up and, and look at this, on this particular page it has a map. That's pretty cool. has lots of commentary at the bottom of the page. Actually, I'm flipping through it, and it's about half the page is like the Bible, and then the, the, the bottom half of the page is commentary on the verses. And I think I always recommend a study Bible instead of uh, any other kind of Bible as your daily reading Bible, the Bible that you look at and study from. Um, because, um, and I realize that right now I'm talking to you, the Mill Sunday School. I'm not talking to big church. This isn't really more, this is more of a teaching than a sermon. So I'm realizing I'm talking to you guys. And, and so I'll preface what I'm about to say with that, that you guys are the audience of what I'm about to say. Um, and, and so hopefully you could take this the right way. But I always recommend um, not getting a devotional Bible and getting a study Bible. A study Bible instead of a devotional Bible. Because I, I'm talking to you right now as the Mill Sunday Schoolers. And because I think, and if you have a devotional Bible, that's great. That's fine. Don't throw it in the trash can. Um, but I, if you're going out to get a new Bible or if you don't have a Bible, you need a Bible, I would always recommend a study Bible. There's lots of different kinds of study Bibles. Archaeological study Bible, the NIV study Bible, other versions, their study Bibles. And a study Bible has the notes right on the page. What kind of notes, you might ask? Well, historical notes, maybe notes about the Greek word being used in the book of Acts, maybe a map, uh, maybe uh, notes that cross-reference other scriptures in the Bible right there on the page. And so if you have a question, it's like, what does this mean? I don't understand why he would say this. Maybe the commentary on the very page of a study Bible has the note about, oh, this is in, in history, this is what was going on at the time. And so, oh, now it makes sense. Sweet. And so it's commentary right on the page if you have a study Bible. How many of you have study Bibles? That's what I thought. The nerds of the mill would have study Bibles because, and, and, and I prefaced it with like, I'm talking to you guys right now because I imagine that most of you have been a Christian for a while. Most of you are into this thing of studying the Bible for yourself. And, and I think a devotional Bible in some ways skips the step 
of, of, of understanding who it was written to and why it was written in such a way. And it just jumps right to, well, how can we spend time with God and reflecting on this passage? And th- that's great. That's a great place to get to. That's a good place to get to. But I think the, the step in between is, is finding out, well, why does it say what it says? What, why would it say it like this? Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. Um, as, as we continue, I think it may make more sense. But how many of you listed a commentary of the Bible on your, on your list? <clears throat> a commentary, this is a one-volume commentary. So the entire Bible, if you, if you just have like a, a small Bible and you're looking for more information and, and to study things uh, more in depth, I always recommend just getting a one-Bible uh, excuse me, a one-volume commentary of the Bible. So it has every single, it has comments on just about every single verse. So if you have a, a question about Acts chapter 2, you could go and read someone's comments on Acts chapter 2. Or if you had uh, a question about Deuteronomy chapter 16, you can go and read about Deuteronomy chapter 16. And it's someone that has studied the scriptures, someone that has uh, potentially worked in the Greek and the Hebrew languages and the history, and has written comments on the Bible. Um, and so this is a one-volume commentary. Um, this one in particular is, uh, that I particularly like. I've had it since like 1998. I've had it, uh, I've been working with this particular one for a long time, and I like it. It's called the New Bible Commentary by uh, IVP InterVarsity Press. That's just my own personal preference. I like this one uh, a lot. So that's a one-volume commentary. Uh, another tool is a, a full Bible commentary set, and most of you. We probably have to go to the library to, to, to look at something like this. But this entire book is just Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians. So this book is of the whole Bible. You can imagine that this book, only covering three small books of the Bible, potentially, uh, is much more in-depth. And so I have in my office that I got after I graduated uh, an entire set. It's like this big. It has like 12 different books, um, all representing uh, the books of the Bible, and it goes much more in depth than a one-volume commentary. So that's the, so. If you mentioned commentaries, that, that's what they are. They're, they're people's comments on the Bible. Now, that's still, in, in some ways, and maybe you'll understand where I'm going with this. That's still, in some ways, asking someone else for like what they think about the Bible. It's someone else's comments on the Bible, and so where. Do the people that wrote the commentaries, the people that wrote the notes in my Bibles, the NIV study Bible, where do those people go to get the knowledge that they have to write those commentaries? Well, I'm going to give you three more uh, places, three more tools. They're going to be in red. And the, the next one is Greek and Hebrew word study sources. And this is where um, like you could look up an actual word. Like many of you are familiar with uh, the Greek word for love. What is it? Agape. Yeah, which one? That's a good question. All right, very wise. Um, yeah, so the, 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 the word in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape. And so if you wanted to do a word study on agape, you could pick up something like this. It's called a lexicon of the Greek language. And you could look at the word uh, agape and realize that it has like two pages on the word agape, how it was used in the first century, how non-biblical sources use the word agape. You could look and see how Plato used the word or Aristotle used the word or contemporaries with the New Testament, how they use the word, how the word fits in other Koine uh, Greek texts. And so that's 
an interesting, it's an in-depth, very in-depth. I mean, we're getting to very nerdy ways of studying the Bible. Um, but some of you have probably done this. Some of you will be, um, at some point in your Christian life, uh, be you'll, as you learn more and go deeper and deeper into the text of Scripture, you'll want to know, well, what's the Greek say here? What's the Hebrew say if it's an Old Testament passage? And that's where you can go. So those are uh, lexicons or Greek, Hebrew, word study sources. Um, The next thing I wanted to list was historical books. And I have, uh, this is a dictionary of the New Testament background. And so what it is, this is one of the many examples of a history book. It is, you could go in and look at what was the history like at the time when the book of Acts was written. And you could go into that and realize, oh, it was very different. It was... um, People lived very differently than we live now, and it may shed some light upon a passage that you're reading. Uh, Quickly moving on, you could also look at historical primary sources if you really wanted to, because the people that wrote this history book were probably looking at primary sources, actual documents from the early church, like letters, like uh, edicts that went out, like... um, Whatever. They, they, they were looking at the actual primary sources. Maybe like, have you ever heard of Josephus? He was an early, he wrote during the time of the early church. He was a Jewish historian that wrote at the time of the early church. And so it was this awesome document that we have about the history of the early church from a Jewish perspective. It's just an, it's an incredible resource that we have. And so that would be extreme nerd territory if you were reading Josephus to help you understand the book of Acts. But that's what's done to write the commentaries. And when you have a question and you want to know more, well, that's eventually where the line would lead you into the depths of the nerd research. And so um, that's where you can go. I share all this information with you because um, I think it's important to know the background of a book um, as we're studying it. But some of you may look at all these books, and here's, here's the little stack of books that I brought in today of, of some of the, the resources that you can look at for the Bible, study Bible, commentaries. And for some of you, you're like, dude, what about the Bible alone? Maybe you're thinking red flags are going up because you're like, dude, why don't you just read the Bible and, and why do you need all these books just to understand the book of Acts? And, and did, did anybody else think that? It's sometime, when I first got familiarized with commentaries and the depths and the libraries of commentaries on just single books of the Bible, I was like, man, do we really need all those books just to understand you know, this little book of Acts? And in some ways it's like, Maybe it's overboard or overkill on the, on the background. But I really think, you, in some ways, you need to know context and background for the books of the Bible because it gets to these ideas of inductive versus deductive. Have you heard these terms before? Maybe you heard them in a philosophy class, inductive or deductive reasoning. Maybe you've heard them in science classes. Maybe you've heard them in the, st- in the context of studying scripture. But here's the deal. We'll talk about deductive first and what it means. And for some of you, you already know what it means, and this will just be review. But deductive is when you have a theory, and then you have a hypothesis, you move to observation, and then you confirm that theory that you had. Like, for instance, uh, if you thought, if you have the idea that, oh, everything is predestined. And so you have this idea in your head um, that everything is predestined. Well, then you could have the hypothesis that, Oh, if I read the Bible and look for predestination passages, I will find them, therefore confirming my theory that everything 
is predestined. And so you go to Blue Letter Bible or Bible Gateway, and you type in the word predestined. And you have a few verses in Romans and Ephesians, like Romans 8.29. For those God knew, he predestined. Or Romans 8.30. And those he predestined, he also called. Or Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption. Or Ephesians 1.11, in him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to his plan. And so you're like, oh, sweet, I had this idea. Everything's predestined. I looked it up in the Bible, and it confirmed the idea that everything is predestined. And that's a way of deductive thinking, a deductive way of reading the Bible. But what, what could be the problem with that idea is other verses in the Bible about free choice. Other verses in the Bible about human responsibility, how we're supposed to respond to God. And so you're missing out on this, this like other side of the argument because you didn't even look in the scripture for free will or uh, human responsibility or those kinds of verses. You just deductively had a theory and went into the Bible to prove your theory, which brings us to this idea that many Christians um, don't necessarily read the bible and come to ideas we have ideas and then we see them in scripture and i of course am guilty of this at times you all at times are guilty of this it's just the deductive way of thinking which brings us to a quote this guy is uh his name is richard dawkins he's a pretty famous atheist he's author of the god delusion he often says about christians he's an atheist so he's not really a fan of christianity Um, He's kind of adamantly opposed to Christianity. But he will often say this quote, which I I kind of understand where he's coming from. He'll say, have Christians even read the book that they so adamantly believe in? It's like, have have Christians will say this and that. It's like, well, have you ever even read the, the context of Scripture? Do you even know what it really says? And so often, I think, in, in the church, like big church, American church, what he says is, is true. Like, yeah, we haven't. We, we are guilty of having deductions in our theology, of having these ideas in our head or that we hear these ideas preached and, and maybe we go into the Bible reading them and thinking them and our mind never changes. We never really learn outside of our own little box because we're deductively thinking about Scripture. And so the quote that is on the back of the skillet today Skillet's this little piece of paper we give you when you come in to take notes on. The quote is by A.W. Tozer. There's a picture of him. He's a pretty cool dude. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, The word of God, well understood and religiously obeyed, is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And then pay attention to this. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole Christian. And I like that quote because it's, it's more the inductive way. So here's, here's a picture of the, how the inductive way is supposed to work, that we read the Bible. We make lots of observations from reading the context of Scripture. We find patterns from reading the Bible. We have a hypothesis and then a theory that, that confirms the, the observations that we've been seeing and the patterns that we've been seeing. So that's the inductive way. And it should be, and if you're thinking about this, it is the opposite of the inductive. The deductive uh, works from theory and then confirms that theory. The inductive works from observation and then confirms uh, that we see patterns and then we make theories from the observations. Does that make sense? And in some ways, it's going back to elementary school science. 
Did anybody like science as an elementary school? Yeah, look at all those hands. Sweet. Me too. I loved it. Like if there was a day that I knew we were going to have lab that day, I was just so excited. I could barely eat my lunch so excited in elementary school because we're going to go into the lab. Uh, we're going to learn. We're going to be able to play with chemicals and Bunsen burners and heat lamps. And, and I was just so excited for science. But always before we went into lab, like the classroom was broken up like half classroom, half lab, we always had to sit through the teacher's lecture about the scientific method and what an observation is and how theories are made and how we have to find patterns in our observations, a very inductive way of doing science. Science should be done inductively by definition. And so I just remember sitting in class, the class, the front part of the classroom, and just thinking, man, I can't wait to get my hands on the chemicals and Bunsen burners and cool stuff that's in the lab. Why is the teacher going on and on and on about the scientific method? And then he would ask questions. It's like, well, what's an observation? And then, I, you know, in my head, I'm just thinking, or if I was called on, I'd say, well, an observation is what we're about to do. We're about to see two chemicals put together. Then we're going to light them on fire, and they're going to blow up. That's an observation. And he's like, no, you've got it all wrong. That's what you think is going to happen. The observation, you haven't yet observed that. You're about, you're going to put the chemicals together, and then you're going to write down your observations. Observations are different from the hypothesis. And I was as I was sitting there, I began to get it. And I fell in love, of course, with science all through college. I, my undergrad degree was in biology. And I love science. But looking back, I think about those times I was in the classroom, excited to do the experiments, learning about science, realizing this statement, that an inductive study still requires methods, rules, definitions, context, etc., it's not just a matter of playing around with the chemicals and burning things. That's not science. Science is following the rules of the scientific method, uh, learning definitions, context of, of what we're about to do, not just playing around in a laboratory. Because there's a difference between doing science and playing around in a laboratory, right? There at least should be a difference. <laughs> um, as a kid, maybe it all just you know, weaved, interweaved together, but there should be a difference. And just like studying the Bible, I think reading the Bible in the same way, if we're really going to inductively study the Bible, it requires methods, rules maybe, definitions, context. So, these big words. And yes, at some point today, we will talk about the book of Acts, just not yet. Are you hanging with me? Okay. These are big words, hermeneutics, exegesis. Sometimes people just use them uh, as if you know exactly what they mean when they say them. Um, and sometimes you're like, well, what does that really mean? Um, let's talk about exegesis first, because you're supposed to be doing exegesis before hermeneutics in some way. So exegesis is really what the passage is saying, what it says, coming from the Greek word uh, to, to lead out, exe exegesis, to lead out this Greek word, what is actually being said here? And so in some ways, this would be doing uh, Greek word studies or thinking about how this passage, what it's actually saying. Hermeneutics, uh, so exegesis, what it says. Hermeneutics may be a little different. Hermeneutics, what the passage means. And so Hermen, her, maybe you've heard of the Greek god Hermes, the, the messenger god that would relay messages from gods to the humans. When you're doing hermeneutics, you're asking the question, well, what does it mean? And so if we are to study the book of Acts um, and, and look at this book, 
we need to do, if we're going to study it in such a way to really learn from the text, that this isn't a sermon, this is more of, of teaching and learning is what we do in the Mill Sunday School. We need to do hermeneutics and exegesis. And so we, I want to begin the book of Acts with just a little bit of background, very quickly. So background of the book of Acts. Here we are with about 10 minutes left of Sunday School, finally getting to the book of Acts. Here's a cool cover. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give you four points. If, if in your notes you want to write down four points for the background, I don't know if there's room on this. Uh, if you wrote really small, maybe you could. But the first point, first one of four points, is the genre of the book of Acts. I think that's important. When we open up the scripture, and hopefully you're not just opening up randomly and just reading scripture randomly. Um, there, maybe there's a time and a place for that. Maybe flipping through the Psalms and reading the Psalms as prayers. That's pretty cool. But if you're really you know, trying to get to the truth, trying to get to what is being said here, you would want to know a little bit of background to the, of the book of Acts before you started studying it. And you'd want to know what type of writing is this? That's what genre means. What, what is the type of writing in the book of Acts? And the type of writing is... Um, I guess, uh, characterized as a book describing the great deeds of a people or a city. It's, it's the, in the Greek, it's the, the praxis apostolone, acts of the apostles. It's, it's what they do. And so this type of genre was already common in the ancient world. People would write these long um, acts of a city or acts of a, a Greek hero and list all the great things that they did. The book of Acts falls into that genre of listing the awesome things that, that came about through the apostles and what God did in the apostles. And the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, starts off with, in my former book, Theophilus. And, and do you know who Theophilus is? It, it mean, does you know what it means, Theo and Philus? Anybody? I hear mumblings, and so you probably think you know what it is, but you're not more confident enough to, enough to say. I will tell you, Theo means God, and Philus is brotherly love. And so Theophilus, uh, Theophilus is a God lover. And so there, it could be that it's written to an actual person named Theophilus. It could be a nickname for Christians. Here I am writing to you um, as Christians. And he says in his former book, do you know who, what the former book he's talking about? Yeah, the book of Luke. Yeah, and so who wrote the book of Luke? Not a trick question. Luke. Um, Luke, Luke wrote the book of Luke, and then he also wrote the book of Acts. And so that leads us right into our next point that I think is important, that we should know who the author is uh, of a book that we're reading in the Bible. And that may bring us to some understanding that, that Luke we think was this doctor, and we, we think he's a doctor because Colossians 4.14 says Paul is talking about Luke, you know, greet Luke, our dear friend, the doctor. And, and, and so we think that Luke was a doctor and a great historian because we, if you read Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it's, it says that uh, here Luke is saying, uh, I have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been filled among us just as they were handed down to us by those uh, who were first uh, eyewitness accounts of the, ser of the and the servants of the word of God. And so we, Luke is this historian that put together the stories. And we also think that 
the book of Acts was written by Luke, and Luke knows so much about the book of Acts and the stories therein because he was a guy traveling along with Paul. Why do we think that? How do we know that? Well, because in some places of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 20, and Acts chapter 21, the language changes to we, we language, like then we went to this city and we preached the word, etc., etc. And so if it's talking about we, you probably think that the person writing it was there. Like he's, he's going along with. So we think that Luke was a doctor from the Colossians passage. He was obviously a historian writing the book of Luke and then Acts. And then we think that he was the one, because he uses we language, traveling around with Paul, writing down the accounts, maybe as they were happening. So this is the book that we get, that we call it the book of Acts of the Apostles. And so we know the, the genre, the author, the audience. Um, who is the audience of the book of Acts? Everybody say, not us. Yeah, not, and you're like, what? Not us. And maybe you've heard me say this statement before in the Mill Sunday School. If you haven't, it's always shocking. But the Bible is not written to us. It's written for us. You're like, whoa. If you haven't heard me say that before, you haven't heard someone say that before, you're like, whoa, the Bible's not written to us? It's written for us? What does that mean? Well, it specifically means that we in America in 2011 were not the intended audience of the book of Acts. You're like, whoa, what's that supposed to mean? Well, it's supposed to mean that Acts was written in the first century and the audience of the book of Acts was people in the first century. And so we, as, as American readers in 2011, have to look back on the scripture and say, okay, how would a first century person have understood this so that maybe we, as Americans, living almost 2,000 years later, can understand it? And so I think sometimes people get into trouble with their biblical interpretation if they just think, oh yeah, this passage right here was written directly to me, Joe Kirkadal, 2011, New Life Church, Colorado Springs, it was written directly to me, and so I just need to go out and do exactly what this just says. You're like, dude, that doesn't make any sense because it was written 2,000 years ago and written to another group of uh, this other audience in the 2,000 years ago, and so therefore you need to understand that it was written to them, not directly to you, but it's for us. Of course, it is for us. It is inspired, um, but it's not written to us. More about that as this month progresses, as, as we look exactly what that means. But moving right along um, to setting. The setting of the book of Acts is, of course, the first century. I've been kind of mentioning that this whole time, that the book of Acts was written 2,000 years ago, and the setting is the early church. And I think it's kind of cool that just last month we were studying the early church. And so a lot of this is just going right along with what we already learned and what the early church was experiencing so that we can fully understand, or at least more accurately understand, the book of Acts. So, talked about the background a little bit. The next big point here, um, as we're wrapping up, is the big picture of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is how many chapters? Anybody know? Like flipping through, uh, 28, 28 chapters. It's a pretty big book of the Bible. <clears throat> it goes, the first part of the books, the book is, is mainly about Peter. The second half of the book is mainly about Paul and his missionary journeys. Um, it's, it's this 
Sometimes different commentaries will break it up in different ways, but usually around chapter 13 is the first half. Chapter 13 to the 28 is the second half of the book. It has so much to do with the birth of the church. And we'll talk about that next time. Jesus ascends in the first chapter to the heavens, and then the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, and the apostles go out and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I have a few points here. The big picture of the book of Acts talks about the church and the birth of the church. We'll get to the kingdom that's talked about. The kingdom of God is mentioned so many times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, it's, 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 it's the, the kingdom of God is the big subject of Acts chapter 1. Then as the book of Acts ends, the, the kingdom of God is talked about. So it's almost like these bookends to, to covering the book of Acts is the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that a bunch this month. Uh, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. God pouring out his spirit. We'll talk about salvation and evangelism. Um, All of these huge important ideas in the big picture of the book of Acts that we're excited to get to. And here is where we finally get to the point on your notes that says, take and eat. And that's that's probably a very weird thing to, to think about right now as we're talking about the Bible. But of course we're talking figuratively that we need to take and eat the scripture. Not literally, but figuratively. We need to take it inside of us like um, Ezekiel chapter 3. Um, the God is speaking to Ezekiel and says, Take this scroll, Ezekiel, eat it, digest it, and then speak the word of God. It's this amazing passage. You could look at it and read it later in Ezekiel chapter 3. But it's this idea that as we take scripture into us, and, and really digest it. We're not just reading it for knowledge. We're not just reading it to be smart. But we're reading it to allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten us. And illuminate the text for us. We can learn truth. And there's the things that we're going to learn. And specifically look at all this month. I believe are so inspiring. But the reason why we spent a whole hour just getting to the book of Acts. Talking about the background. Is because that's kind of how we're going to go about doing, studying the book of Acts. So let's pray right now. Let's consider these ideas. In in many ways, I hope to have gotten you excited to to read, to, to, okay, okay, now I know all about this information about the book of Acts. Let's get into it. So if you want a homework assignment this week, begin to read the book of Acts. We'll we'll talk about Acts chapter 1 next week. and, And I pray that that God would illuminate us. So let's, let's pray. God, we do thank you for the text of Scripture. We do thank you for the book of Acts. We pray that you would illuminate us with your words, illuminate us with, with the, this Holy Spirit, that as we read the book of Acts and Scripture, you would give us truth, inspire us to, to learn. <coughs> God, grow our hearts, grow our minds to be more like you. Use Scripture to do that, Jesus. We do love you. We praise you. We're excited to learn about Scripture in the book of Acts all this month. So we praise you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. All right, friends, you're officially dismissed. Go in peace. Peace out.